You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. The verse we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Okay? We are in the middle, and for you that are visiting today, we are in the middle of doing an entire year of focusing, kind of focusing on the family in in the year 2012. We are looking at the family, looking at how to build stronger, better families. In fact, we said we want to build the kind of home that you want to come home to. Amen? Want to build the kind of home you can come home to, because that's what you and I need. We need a home that we want to come home to, and the last... The last couple of weeks, I've been looking at uh, or helping us look at finances, looking at stewardship, surviving your finances, and looking at these things. And, and basically, we said this, that when God begins to bless you and I, God is not trying to get a blessing to you. God is trying to get a blessing what? Through you. In other words, God blesses you and I in order that we are able to be a blessing to other people. God is looking not for a reservoir. He's looking for a what? A river, a channel. The old hymn, is your life a channel of what? Blessings is the love of God flowing through you. So God blesses you and I in order that we can be a blessing to other people. Now that, that's important for you and I to understand. It makes all the difference in the world. Now in Proverbs 22, verse 7, Jesus, or Solomon said this. Solomon made this statement. He said, the rich rule over the poor. Now, that's not necessarily where we're going to be looking, but I want you to see the next words here. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Let's take a moment and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would be very real into this place. Lord, we ask you that you would remind us of how critical it is that we have our finances in order. Lord, we will never be effective for the kingdom until we develop a discipline in the way we spend and use our money, use our blessings, use the resources that you've given us. So Lord, illuminate our hearts. Make our minds sensitive to what you want to say today. And we will give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now Proverbs 22, 7, look at it again. It says, and the borrower is servant to the rich to the, is servant to the lender. And the idea there is, is that you and I, when we are living in debt, we will never be as free as we could be. In other words, what the Bible is saying to you and I, that if you and I are in debt, we will in some sense be a servant to that debt. Okay, now I want you to stay with me here. In other words, God may tell you something. God may reveal something. God may have something He wants you to do. God may begin to reveal His will, His call on your life, but you begin to respond with, well, God, I can't do that because I can't listen to these words. I can't afford it. So often we say to God, God, I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. I, I, I can't do that, God. I'm not, I'm not equipped to do that. So what Solomon was saying in Proverbs 22, 7 is he's simply saying to you and I that if we are not careful that we as borrowers, if we're in debt, that we will be enslaved to the one that holds that debt. Now that's critical. In other words, debt becomes the Lord of your life. Sheila and I, when we first started out, 
I was laughing. I was telling Sarah Johnson, she was up in the hospital this week, and we got to laughing and talking about this series and, and talking about how in our day everybody's trying to get things very quickly. You know, a lot of times couples get married, the first thing they want to do is they want to get their home back to what they had when they left the parents' home. I've got to have a colored HDTV. I've got to have my, you know, uh, my new set from Muskelly's. And I can get it at Muskelly's for 48 months, no interest, 24 months, 12 months, you know. I've got, I've got to have a vehicle, and I've got to have a nice vehicle. I've got to have air, CD player. I've got to have, uh, you know, cruise control. I've got to have all of these things. In fact, Amy was laughing. Or they, uh, she, I think it was Marcia, my sister's here today. They were laughing because when our kids were small, I had a truck that had nothing in it. Do you remember those days when vehicles had nothing? It had nothing. It was standard transmission, no radio, no nothing. Stripped down bare, nothing. And uh, they, they were riding with my sister, I think. They got in her vehicle, and all of a sudden, Ledge was just a little bitty guy. He went, what is that? And Marcia said, it's the radio. <laughs> you know, when Sheila and I married, we were at State, and we, 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 we had nothing. We were living in a trailer. We had nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. We could not spend over $20 a week on groceries. We ate, you remember the ham and cheese loaf? You ever remember that? Anybody remember ham and cheese loaf? I think they still make it. It has the cheese in the ham, you know? We we ate so much of that, I thought we were going to die. That and cream of chicken soup. Sheila loves cream of chicken soup. She's out there smiling and laughing. She still loves cream of chicken soup. I about can't stand it. Because they would sell that stuff like 10 for, to- 10 for a dollar. So we were eating ham and cheese loaf and cream of, che- uh, cream of chicken, you know, soup. And we had an old vinyl couch. The vinyl couch had three legs on it. The fourth leg was some old textbooks that we had put up under the thing to hold it up. We had that old green shag carpet. You remember the old shag carpet that used to put in these trailers? His trailer was ugly. Okay. We didn't really have a lot. We had very little, but I can tell you this much. We made it. We, we lived. We made it. We were happy. You know, I, a lot of times I look at my grandkids, all of them, and I'll, I'll say to them, Sam and, and, and Judah and Canaan and Eden and, and Ethan and all of them, I look at them and I'll say, come over here and let Papa love on you. You know, and they'll just, I don't care what my grandkids are doing, they'll stop whatever they're doing and they'll put a big smile on their face and they'll come and I'll just lift them up and love on them. Sheila and I didn't have a lot, but we did live on love, didn't we? That's about all we had. That's all we could afford. You know, but the reality is that if you and I are not careful, if you and I are not careful, and if you're a young family here, and if you're a young couple, and you're just starting out in your life, if you're not careful, you can be so bombarded by the commercial world and by, you know, everything from furniture to homes and where you live, what you drive, what you wear, that your life becomes consumed with all of this stuff. And before long, because they make... Now listen, parent and senior adult. Where we fail is we don't give adequate counsel. Debt comes too easy now to these kids. I can remember Sheila and I begging Sears to give us credit so we could buy an appliance. We have never shopped with JCPenney's because they denied us credit. And now in light of some of the people they have representing JCPenney's, I tell you what, that's that's an answer to prayer. We're not going to shop with them anyway. And you ought not either. Debt is too easy. And I'm going to tell you, it is a tool of the enemy that will affect your life and it will affect my life. Now, Paul, we're going to be over in 2 Corinthians. I want you to take your right and go over there from Proverbs. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
And we're going to pick up at verse 10. That's right after 1 Corinthians. Okay, if you need a little help there in your Bible. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this church. This church was in a pagan place. This church was in a place where it was a made thoroughfare for going to Athens. This was a main thoroughfare in the time of the Roman Empire, the Romans' control. And Corinth was a very unique place. They, they worshipped a, 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 an idol called, called Aphrodite, and they had over a thousand temple prostitutes. And these men and women would go all through the town, and basically it was just a wicked place. It was the Las Vegas of the New Testament. It was not the best place to put a church. And what would happen is these early churches would unite. They would come together, these churches that Paul was planning, and basically what they would do, they would all come together, they would receive an offering, and they would send it back to the city of Jerusalem because there in Jerusalem was these Jews that had converted, had become followers of Jesus Christ, and because of that they had lost their homes, they had lost their family, some of them had been disinherited, some of them had lost their jobs. I mean, they had become impoverished. So what Paul would do, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, all of these churches, he would go out, he would collect these offerings, and then these offerings were sent back to the people that were suffering in Jerusalem. Corinth had made a commitment. Corinth had signed the pledge card. These people, they may have been pagan. They had converted to Christianity. Paul had said, listen, you've signed the pledge card. Now you need to come through and do what you promised to do. And so Paul is writing. In fact, Paul wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. We only have two. We can't find the other two. But in this second letter, he's trying to encourage them about this thing of giving. And Paul makes some powerful statements about their giving. Now I want you to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, picking up at verse 10. Paul says, and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to give. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, now look at this, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. That's the great thing about the tithe. It's not equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice. Verse 14, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality as it is written, he who gathereth much did not have too much, and he who gathereth little did not have too little. Now what he's talking about here, first of all, is he's talking about a gift. When you and I give, it needs to be acceptable. It needs to be an acceptable gift. In fact, I wrote this statement down. If you don't finish something, and this is what Paul was saying here, if you don't finish something, usually it is because your heart's not in it. Is that not true? How many of us start a diet, we start a program to lose weight or to get in shape or to do whatever, and before long, after a while, we quit doing it? Why? Because our heart's not in it. You see, what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, he was saying, listen, you signed the pledge card, you committed to help these people back in Jerusalem, now go ahead and complete it. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes, as this person said, if you don't finish something, usually it is because your heart's not in it, and if your heart is not in it, it is not acceptable. 
Ladies, that shouldn't be hard for you. Anniversaries. Man, men, we blow that so many times, don't we? These women, look, they'll start hinting around. You know what next week is, don't you? You know what's coming up next Thursday, don't you? Hey, don't forget what tomorrow is. Hey, did you remember? You see, ladies, what you're trying to do is you're trying to tell that old dense, hard-headed guy that you're married to, honey, we've got an anniversary coming up, and you need to remember that you use hints, you use calls, you use notes, you do everything that you can, and finally he may get it and he thinks to himself, man, I've got to get her something. Ladies, let me ask you, though, if he feels pressured to give you a gift at anniversary or to recognize it because you've had to remind him over and over again, is that gift, is that recognition acceptable? And the answer to that, every woman is going, no, (laughs) no. Hear me, God is the same way. And I'm not just simply talking about your stuff, I'm talking about your life. Acceptable offerings are critical to God. Let me give you some examples. The first murder in the Bible was who? Cain. I mean Abel. You remember Cain killed Abel. Why? Because he was upset that his offering, his sacrifice, wasn't acceptable. The first king that was anointed king in the nation of Israel was who? Saul. Guess what happened? His offering wasn't acceptable. His sacrifice wasn't accepted by God. And God dethroned him. I want you to know something. God takes very serious this thing. The first death in the New Testament... Hold on, it's not Stephen who was martyred. Who is it? Ananias and Sapphira over what? Over their offering and the fact that it was not acceptable, that they had lied, they had, uh, they had, they had misrepresented what they had given. You see, this thing of an offering being acceptable is critical to God. When we celebrated the Lord's Supper a couple of weeks ago, I warn you, Let's don't do this until we first repent it, spent time in prayer, confessing sin, and then we'll serve the Lord's Supper. Because Paul said in Corinth, he said, some of you are weak, some of you are sick. Paul said, some of you are dead. Because you've taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. You see, this thing of having the right heart when we do something for God is critical. One writer said the danger is that we give with wrong motives, with a selfish, a selfish heart, or reluctant, or hesitant, or void of love, a deceptive heart. He says that is dangerous. God wants a willing heart in order for it to be acceptable. Willingness means that God receives it. I had a man years ago in this church. He would come up to me all the time and he'd tell me, he was a businessman. And he'd tell me, he'd say, Preacher, I'm going to be here only as long as God leads me, leads me to be here. He was a leader in this church. I got tired of hearing that. Because let me, let me say this. It's silly for anybody to talk about what they're going to do as long as God leads them. You just do what God leads you to do and let it be at that. And he'd, say, and he'd often tell me, he'd say, Preacher, he said, I want you to know too, he said, I give a lot of money. He'd tell me how much he give. He'd say, you see that budget there? He said, I, can percent, I give a percentage of the total budget of this church. I thought to myself, sir, I do too. But he'd go on and on about it. Well, he's since left this church, and I want you to know something. Last time I heard his business that was so successful is struggling today. You see, God wants a willing heart. 
And for you and I to have a gift that is acceptable, what Paul was saying in verses 10 through 15, he's saying to the church at Corinth, he's saying, listen, you've signed the pledge card, now send the gift, because if you don't complete it, then your heart's not in it, and your heart's not in it, and it's not acceptable. God, ladies, is just like you about an anniversary. Sheila will tell you, I have one thing. Sheila will tell you, I'm this way. She can predict me like a book. If I am anywhere in anybody's home at any time, and I feel that I'm not wanted... I'm out of there. I will sleep, and I have. I will sleep in my vehicle before I will eat, sit, stay in anyone's home that doesn't want me there because of the way I was raised. You see, God wants a willing heart. And when there's a willing heart, the gift is acceptable. But look on what Paul says in verse 16. Paul says in verse 16, he said, I thank my God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry this offering which we administered in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any... Now watch this, verse 20. We want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking, verse 21, taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Hear me, a gift needs to be accountable. There needs to be accountability with a gift. This is critical. Because we're living in a day, in all honesty, Paul's talking about integrity and character. Paul's saying, listen, he was saying to the church at Corinth, when you give this gift, we're going to handle it responsibly and we're going to do with it what is right. We've got people today that have this idea, well, I just write a check, give it, and wherever it goes, it doesn't matter. My friend, some of us are giving to ministries that we ought to be ashamed of. I heard of a TV ministry, a very prominent woman with a TV ministry. Her toilet, her toilet cost 20, nearly $27,000. And you support her ministry. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. While people are starving to death, while there's such a need today in America, we have a person who sits down to relieve herself on a toilet over nearly $27,000. And some people say, well, you know, it's out of my hands. I just give the gift. No, that's not right. I was listening to a documentary by Tammy Faye Baker. Anybody remember that name? She was married to Jim Baker. They were founders of the PTL Club. The thing just broke down. It collapsed because of financial impropriety. It, It just literally became a nightmare. And in this documentary, there was still so much bitterness at her toward Jerry Falwell and a group of people who tried to take that ministry over and to work something out of it. And ultimately today, you know what it is? From the last thing I heard, it is gathering weeds and growing up, and it is a picture of what happens when there's not accountability. You see, what Paul was saying here is is that the gifts that you give, we we take this very seriously. And we handle it with all the integrity in the world. In fact, we live in a community, we live in a city today where a lot of pastors own churches. I don't understand that. Pastors owning churches. Pastors handling all the finances. My friend, first of all, I don't want that. And it doesn't, it ain't rocket scientists. 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that's not really a very good plan. So Paul here is talking about accountability, but then he goes on and he talks about the gift being authentic. Now pick up at chapter 9, verse 1. Paul said, There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since the last year in Acacia were, you were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred more of others to give as well. You know, giving is part of your testimony. It's part of who you are. It's part of what God's doing in your life and what God is doing in my life. Giving is part of it. There's no such thing as a stingy Christian. Did you hear that? There's no such thing as a stingy Christian. Greed and greedy is not in our vocabulary. Paul said to the, he said to this church at Corinth, he said, listen, I don't need you to be greedy and to begin to, begin to resent your gift. I need you to come through, send your gift and make it and do it quickly. Put your heart in it. You see, the truth of the matter is, is for a gift to be authentic, it needs to be generous. Paul was saying, don't let me down. You ever brag on a restaurant? You ever, go, you ever have some guests come and you, 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 you say, man, I, I got the place I want to take you. You'll love this place. It is really good. Oh, man, they just, man, the best food. You brag on it. Boy, you build it up. And you get there and what happens? You get a waitress. She looks like she can't stand being at work. The food is cold, warmed over, not very good. The service is horrible, and everything seems to go wrong. And, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish I'd have just called them ahead of time and said, listen, I'm bringing some friends, and I don't want you to let me down. I've been bragging on you, and I want you to come through, because the reality is, is that sometimes we leave a restaurant and we say, well, it's normally good. It's usually good. You see, how many times does God brag on us that, God, that, that, that God's bragging on us? God looks at our heart and He, he calls us to give. And, and, and when we give, our, we don't give with a, with a willing spirit. We, we do it reluctantly. We do it hesitantly. We do it flippantly with no accountability. It's not an authentic gift. Giving is part of your testimony. And Paul talks about here in verse 2, he said there was enthusiasm. He said, listen, you're not only giving, but Paul said to the church at Corinth, you're encouraging others. A woman came down last Sunday, walked down the aisle, came down here, had, had a note, had a, had a piece of paper folded in half. She came down and she, she gave this to me. I'd never seen her before. She handed me the note. I may have, I may have met her before, but she, she handed me a note, had writing on it. She said, Brother Jeff, I want you to use this in some way to help this church. Now listen to what she said. I, I opened the note and I could see 20s. It just had money, just cash money stuffed in that, in, that, in that folded piece of paper. And she began to say, you know, Brother Jeff, I want to serve. I want to do something. What can I do to help? This was a woman I'd never seen before. I couldn't remember her. She came into this service late. And, and as I sat there looking at her, and then she told me this. She said, she told me her name. She said, now, Brother Jeff, she said, you can't call me. Now, listen to this, young people. You can't call me because my phone has been cut off. You know what I was thinking to myself? Well, then, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here, you take this and go get your phone cut back on because you need your phone. You don't need your phone. You don't need your iPhone. If you're robbing God to have an iPhone, shame on you. And that phone won't work very well. 
Your service will be horrible. And I pray that it is. Because you're using stolen money to keep it. Here this woman said, listen, my phone's been cut off, but this is more important to me. This is what I want to do. How many of us could live without our phone for a day? Or a week? Some of us would love to try it. You see, your giving is part of your testimony. It's part of your witness. It's, 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 it, Paul goes on to say in verse 5, he goes on to say this. Look down in chapter 9, verse 5. He said, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift. Now watch this. He tags this on as the end, not as one grudgingly given. I did a little word study on this because, see, part of your giving, part of your testimony is this ability to give with a, with a willing heart. That's the kind of gift that's acceptable. And what Paul was talking about here, he was talking about readiness. He said, listen, I don't want you to give grudgingly. That word grudgingly means, listen to this, it means wrung out of you. What it means in the New Testament Greek, it means to put the squeeze on you. This is WH with a 45 and a, and a plate. This is the ushers going down with, a, with credit card receipt things and they're doing your credit cards and they got another guy with a baseball bat. Okay? Now imagine if we were this morning to come in and we brought some big thugs in to take the, receive the offering. And they, went, and they literally stopped and they came to you and listen, they did not move till you emptied your pockets. We have some that do collect offerings that way around the city of Jackson, but it's not for the church, I don't think. You'll get that in a minute. But anyway, imagine that. We received an offering at gunpoint. In other words, we had all your valuables, everything that you've got of any value whatsoever on your person at the end of it. And then a few minutes later, you were... You heard me talking out in the parking lot, and I said, man, wasn't that a great Sunday? We had the largest offering we've ever received. You'd be going, Brother Jeff, you're crazy. That wasn't, that wasn't, that, that wasn't an offering that was received. That was an offering that was taken. You see, God doesn't work that way. And this is what Paul was saying. Now what Paul goes on to do in verse 6 when he begins, he moves on here and this is critical for you and I because to me this is the principles of giving. This is the principles of stewardship. Paul says, remember this verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This was an agricultural society in the New Testament. They understood farming. And what Paul was saying is, your blessings come in the form of the harvesting of your crops. If you're stingy with your seed, you, can, you will find yourself with a small harvest. Sowing seed is an act of faith. It is critical. A farmer would, plant, would rather plant too much and have to thin the crop than have to go back and replant. Some of us in this room have been complaining all our lives because we have a small harvest when we've been stingy with the seed. This is what Paul was saying. In verse 7 he goes on to say, Each man should give what he has decided in what? In his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the word there is hilarious. That is literally the Greek word hilarious. Hilarious. 
Well, I haven't seen that lately. Whoa! Bring the plate on by here. I'm ready to give. Now look at verse 10. We'll just move quickly. Paul said this, Now he who supplies, look at this, who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Paul not only says, listen, the key is the seed, sow the seed. When God blesses you, when God begins to pour blessings in your life, He's trying to get them not to you, but through you. Be a channel of blessing. Spread the seed out. Sow the seed, and your harvest will be bigger. And then in verse 10, He talks about the supplier of the seed, because once you're God, God begins to see that you take the seed and you plant it. You don't hoard it. You don't hang on to it. You don't put it in your own stuff. You invest it into the kingdom. Then all of a sudden, God says, I've got a channel here. Let's start pouring it in there. This is not TV preaching. I'm telling you a spiritual truth. Some in this room, you say, I don't understand. I've been tithing for years. Yeah, you're still squeaking out 10%. You've got it down to the last penny. When do we ever move beyond that? It's saying, God, everything that I have, my children, my education, my job, my home, my car, all of it is yours. God, you want it all, you have it. And we take the things that God's given us and we begin to spread it out there and we put it out into the kingdom, God. We're not stashing it and hanging on with it. You think what I'm saying is not true? Listen, yesterday in this wedding, a couple came up to me. They're not members of this church. They've seldom, I bet they haven't visited this church two or three times. Walked up and handed me an envelope. Said, Brother Jeff, we believe in what you're doing. We believe in what Southside is doing. And we want to give this. I took that envelope, stuck it in my coat pocket and walked away. I didn't think anything about it. They knew we were getting ready to open this house up, Healing Touch Ministries. They knew we were getting ready to open this house up for women. They know we feed people out of our food pantry every day. They know we give lunches. They know we go to the streets and minister to the homeless. They know all the things that we do here. We may be low today, but this is unusually low. And it's because a lot of our people are not here today. But I want you to understand, I stuck that envelope in there, in my pocket, walked away, didn't think anything more about it. Last night, Sheila and I were finally settling down. I reached and opened that envelope. Sheila and my sister, Marcia, they were in there sitting down. And I opened that envelope and looked in there and it said $20,000 for Southside Baptist Church and to help us with the renovating of this building. You know who it was given by? That woman began to weep and cry. We called her on the phone. She wept and cried. She said, my mama... Senior adult, listen, senior adult said, my mama, who never visited this church one time, she said, my mama believed in that church, and before she died, she said, you take that money and give it to Southside Baptist. And I told her, I said, we will use it in a way that brings honor and glory to the kingdom of God. And you know what she went on to say? Let me tell you what she told me last night on the phone. She said, Brother Jeff, because I knew that at Southside, you wouldn't do what my church might do, put it in a CD and stick it in the bank. I knew that it would be invested into the kingdom. Makes all the difference in the world. 
Paul's saying this. Paul's saying, Paul, listen, there's no reason why this church ought to be here. There's no reason why. I told Ledge a while back, I said, Ledge, we may not be the biggest church, but I can tell you this much, we're probably the most respected church. God's doing great things Sunday. Uh, last Wednesday night, we had children and youth everywhere. They were crawling all over this campus and around this facility. Christina said, I had so many children, I didn't know what to do with them. I want you to know something. God is doing something, but God says to you and I, just like He says to this church, He said, listen, if you'll take that and you'll invest that into the kingdom of God, I'll keep sending it through you. But if you hang on it, you hoard it, you stash it away, you put it in CDs, I'll take what even you got. You say, Brother Jeff, all you want is a raise. You are a liar. How dare you? Some of you are here visiting today, you may say, well, he's just preaching the same old crap I hear on TV all the time. And that's exactly what it is. You may say, well, he just wants a raise. I don't need a raise, don't want a raise. And I surely don't need your money. It's not about raises and not about money, folks. Listen to me. It's about you and I practicing stewardship in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God. It's done with a willing heart. And the truth of the matter, some of you got offended a four-letter word, but you'll listen to, listen to a lot worse than that on TV all the time and everything. Nothing about it. Shame on you. I'm not looking for a raise. Don't need a raise. God's taking care of me just fine. Because he found a channel. You may be saying, well, I can tell you, I don't want to give my money here. You can give your money. Listen, you can give your money. The best place to give is a local church. You can control every cent of every dollar. You can take money. You can simply say, I want this for the food pantry. I want this for the clothing closet. I want this for the homeless ministry. And Mike back there, who leads our homeless ministry. I want this involved in children's ministry. I want Christina to have this. I want this. You can do with it whatever you want. It's not about me having a raise. It's about me preaching to the truth so that you learn that until you get control of your debt, you will live in bondage to the lender and you'll never be able to carry out God's will for your life. This is critical, what Paul was saying, and, and I need to close, but listen to what Paul says in verse 12. Paul says there's not only the seed, there's not only the supplier of the seed, he said there's the Savior of the seed. He said this service, look at verse 12, I love this, this is powerful. He says this service to the Corinthians that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What he's saying is, is that when God begins to pour blessings, not to us, but through us, but when we begin to bless the lives of other people and impact people's lives, we are answering their prayers. Think about that. When God begins to use you to minister to other people, when you go to somebody and look, God laid you on my heart, I wanted to do this for you. Or when this church does things in, in, in honor and in, in, in doing the things that we do, listen, it brings honor and glory. God is saying in verse 12, He's saying they will joyfully, in the NLT, they will joyfully express their thanks to God as a result of your ministry and they will give God the glory. When God begins to use you and I and we become a blessing to other people and we begin, God puts people on our heart. We go to our neighbor. We go to a work associate. We go to another student. We say, listen, I don't know why God told me to do this, but I felt like that you're in a crisis right now and God told me to give you this. That person's walking away going, how do they know that? 
They may be lost. They may be on their way to hell. Who told you to do that? God told me to do that. All of a sudden, they begin to see the impact and the power of your faith in their life. They begin to listen to go before God. Some of them get saved because of it. Others begin to walk with God. They begin to say, God, I was going through a dark night of the soul. I was beginning to doubt you. I was wondering where you were, God. But all of a sudden, you have revealed yourself to me, and I give you all the praise and glory. We sent a check, $4,500 to Zimbabwe. The bulk of that Zimbabwe money is simply because of a book that I wrote, a children's book. And and a couple of weeks ago, I was complaining to God how difficult finances were and just kind of struggling a little bit, getting ready for this wedding and thinking about that book. And I'll close in a minute, but listen. I was thinking about the wedding. I was thinking about how things begin to inch up the cost. And I said, God, and on top of that, $4,500 that we just sent to Zimbabwe. I said, God, most of that was money I gave. Most of that was money that I raised. Buy that book. People buying that book. People investing in the Zimbabwe fund. Yesterday, the couple that $20,000 handed me a check for exactly what I complained to God about. Don't tell me God won't take care of us. Don't tell me God won't meet our needs. This makes all the difference in the world. God wants to do it in your life. He wants to do it in my life. He's saying, listen, I want to make you a channel of blessing. I want to do something great in your life. And my friend, when he does that, there's a glorious thing. There's joy in that. There's joy in that. And I think to myself, God, we need to get that house payment out of the way. God, we, need to, we don't need to know on any vehicles. God, we need to get our lives as frugal and as simple as they can be so, God, we can do more for the kingdom. Mission trips that we could take, places that we could go, Bibles that we could buy, stuff that we could do. Jim Anderson died a few weeks ago, a homeless man had this church as his next to kin. Had no family. And in that material room right now was a tent that we had bought for Jim so that Jim could have a new tent to live in, living on the streets. When I went to University Medical Center and met with the doctors and the, and the staff there, because Jim became kind of a notoriety at UMC, they looked at me and they said, your church is his next of kin, a homeless man. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you that, dear Lord, you have blessed us and given us so much. Lord, as I told that woman last night, as we wept and cried on the phone over $20,000, I told her, first of all, we'll take the tithe of that and we'll use it in another ministry in another way. We'll use it to touch and bless the lives of other people. The remainder we'll do other things with it. But I promised her that her senior adult mom, who now leans over the banisters of heaven, her dad, who long since is gone, was a precious, sweet man there in that church at Anguilla, that they would look down and realize that Southside will use that gift with integrity, 
Lord, every penny that we receive here, dear Lord, we don't throw it fraudulently away. We don't flippantly just give it to whatever. We're very frugal. Lord, we try to keep ourselves. We're not in any debt. But we do that, dear Lord, so that we could be mindful and attentive to what's on your heart, and that is people. Because as the old song says, God loves people more than anything. And so, Lord, I pray today, dear Lord, for some in this room, dear Lord, that are living in bondage to debt. They are in bondage to debt, dear Lord. They owe credit cards. They owe house payments and car payments. Dear Lord, they're overextended, dear Lord. Their lives are just in misery and in ruin. They don't have the freedom to do many things that you put on their heart to do because, dear Lord, the enemy has woven a web of financial ruin into their life. I pray, dear Lord, today, this day, that they would begin to be set free of that. God, that you will do whatever you have to do. That, dear Lord, you will begin to set them free so that they can begin to live and to serve you. But Lord, even as we come to this invitation, may we be reminded that God, you want us. You want us more than anything to give our hearts and our lives to you. To willingly, freely, just say, Lord, here I am. Here's my life. And Lord, I want to serve you. So God, be the Lord of my life, not debt. Lord Jesus, you be the Lord. That means, that means when we go buy a car, listen to me, look this way. When you go buy a car, you take Jesus with you to go buy it. Okay? Because Jesus will put his hand on your shoulder and he'll say these words, you can't afford that. Don't, don't go there. When they corner you in that broom and they're doing that little dog and pony show back to the guy up in that exalted office up there, the Lord may tell you, you need to get up and leave. Don't stay here. You can't afford this. When you're looking at a home and you're looking at a plush prime area of real estate, the Lord may whisper and say, this is nice, but you don't need this. Where you are is sufficient. You, keep, you live there, you'll be fine. The Lord will bless you and take care of you when you learn to celebrate and rejoice around what he's given you. And you use that for kingdom building. But the greatest thing is to give you life. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never received Christ, our counselors are going to make their way down here. They'll be here. If God is speaking to you and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, that's the first thing you do, willingly, freely. Lord, here I am, and I just give my life to you in service, in obedience. Lord, you be the Lord of my life. And when we do that, God begins to use us like the offering and makes us great for the kingdom. So you come today. If you need to pray at this altar, make a fresh commitment, whatever it may be, you come right now.